Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would bless it as it goes forth. We thank you for your apostle John who wrote these things down to bring us the information you wanted us to have. Thank you that it has survived over the centuries and may it go beyond us. And we know that it will, for you have said in your word, it will last. So we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 10. We are in this chapter to see that Jesus is the gate. He's the good shepherd. Jesus came to divide. And Jesus' witness brought Jewish wrath. It starts out with this idea of an agrarian society. Now, they were husbandmen as well, and they would take care of cattle and sheep. And there was a a typical thing that all of the people would have understood, and that's how you take care of sheep, especially if you're in the outback or the wilderness. You would build this sheep pen, and a sheep pen normally would be a circular uh, area that you would stack up with rocks, and you'd make this wall going around. And then there would be this entry to this wall, that would be wide enough for the sheep to get in or for a shepherd to sit in because then the sheep could not come through. Several shepherds would often get together and for ways of protecting the sheep, they would stick them into the sheep pen at night. And as all these shepherds would bring in their sheep pen, and they could be quite large or they could be small, but the shepherds would get together and they would build them and there would be either a gatekeeper or one of the shepherds would be designated to sleep in the door of the sheepfold. Now, there wasn't an actual door. There wasn't an actual gate. It would be the shepherd who would sit there all night and keep watch over the sheep. When it came time for the shepherds in the morning to gather their sheep, one shepherd at a time, the gatekeeper would allow the shepherd to come in and the shepherd would call his sheep and he might even call them by name, have them named. And the sheep would respond to the shepherd's voice. And so if there were, say, 200 sheep in there and one shepherd had 50 sheep, those 50 sheep would hear their shepherd. As soon as the shepherd walked in, they would recognize his voice. The other sheep would go away from that shepherd that wasn't theirs. And the shepherd that owned the sheep, the sheep would follow that shepherd. And it's different than the way that they do it nowadays where they have a sheepdog that drives the sheep from behind, nipping at the heels. The shepherd would walk in front of the sheep and the sheep would follow the shepherd. That's how they did it back then over in the Semitic countries. If you go there today, you will see the shepherds, and we've seen this going down towards Jericho from Jerusalem on the old road, not the new road that is there. But they would be on the sides. Uh, Patty, you'll remember this. We were actually in the bus. And remember looking over the side, you couldn't see the bottom of the cliff. And the wheels would be right over the edge of the cliff. It was a hair-raising event. And we came onto this one section that was winding around. There were two buses, and they had to go by each other. And the road was completely narrow. We looked up, and there were shepherds up there and they had some goats that they were herding on this area and people in the bus were told not to take pictures and they started taking pictures and this woman she picked up a rock and she was going to throw it right at the window on the bus and we were told not to take pictures unless you ask and they were walking and the the goats were walking with them very primitive they were doing it just like they would during jesus's time as well and so that is the sheep pen you need need to get that context in mind what's going on now when the sheep would come to the sheep pen at night the shepherd would stand at the gate 
and the sheep would be driven in one at a time and the shepherd would take his rod or his staff and he'd stick it down in front of each sheep and let one sheep go in after he inspected any particular sheep. He'd raise it, let the sheep go in and he'd put it down again to stop the other sheep so he could inspect each sheep as it goes in to the sheepfold that particular night. Then the other shepherds, they'd lay around maybe by a fire at night and they would eat from usually a common pot or something and they would share food. And then this is what we want to be reminded of, the shepherds in Bethlehem on the night Jesus was born. This is exactly what they were doing. So you have the context of what is taking place. In John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus is the gate. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. And the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. As Jesus is saying this, everybody would have been listening and said, well, yeah, we understand this. This is how it's done. But Jesus is doing this for our benefit as well as communicating a story here because he's talking about somebody. Jesus, is, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7, therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, or in the King James, have it more abundantly. And so on your sheet there, you have, I think, four or five things. The sheep pen is Judaism. Uh, That's what you want to keep in mind. The sheep pen is Judaism. Judaism was set up for the sheep of Israel, God's sheep, to keep them safe, to keep them quarantined, to keep them away from danger. That's why God gave them a law. He gave them a law dietarily. He gave them a law for order in society. He gave them the ceremonial law, which is in there. And so you can look at that sheep pen as God being the main shepherd, the chief shepherd. He lets his sheep go into the pen, and the law was meant to keep them safe. And that's what it did. It it kept them safe. It kept them as an ordered society. Then secondly, the shepherd is Jesus. Now, we already know this. God is the one who is over all of Judaism. He set that up as we're going through the book of Exodus. We can see that. And the Jews heard his voice, and the Jews responded to his voice, his literal voice. Remember, I just talked about the 70 elders. Uh, they heard the voice of God, the one from the burning bush, and Moses talked to him as one talks face to face. And so Jesus is the shepherd. Then thirdly, the thieves are the leaders of the Jews. Now, how do we know this? You cannot interpret this passage in John chapter 10 without knowing about John chapter 9, the end of it. Now, at the end of this, chapter 9, Uh, Jesus says in verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. This is right after he healed the blind man and they threw the blind man out of the temple. Some Pharisees, verse 40, who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? 
Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And it goes right into, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter by the sheep pen, by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and the robber. So take out the chapter division there. Take out the verses. Jesus just continues to talk. And so as he sets this up, he's saying that the thieves are these Jews who are blind. That's who he's saying it is. The thieves are the leaders of the Jews. They are considered to be the ones who are the false teachers. They offered a way of salvation that was not from God. Now, their way of salvation was keeping their interpretation of the law, like healing on the Sabbath, right? They wanted to kill Jesus because he was healing on the Sabbath. They mean to steal away the sheep of God for their own purposes. They were selfishly motivated. That's why they wanted to kill Jesus. They didn't want to give up what they had. Now, the other sheep are other believers in Christ. Now, who are these other believers. Now, if you've listened to any messages on this for any length of time, if you've listened to late night radio, some people will say that these other sheep are people on other planets. That is the most ridiculous interpretation I have ever heard of, and it is not true. Now, I tell you this because it's out there, and all you have to do is be around long enough, and then somebody might be able to convince anybody that this might be true and i want to tell you this is not true the other believers are simply other believers that are not part of judaism here now are there other believers that are not part of judaism in the old testament name some go ahead okay i'll name the first what job yeah in the old testament that were not part of the mosaic law that were believers Abraham, that's right. He's a believer, but he did not have the Mosaic law. What about Noah? Noah was a righteous man before God. You said Job. Job, what about Melchizedek? He was actually a priest before the Most High God. And so there are believers that are not part of Judaism that believe by faith. And Jesus says, I have other believers. What about us? We are other sheep. We are not the sheep that comes from the Jews or the line of Abraham, right? And so Jesus is just stating the Jews aren't the only ones. There are other people who believe out there who are not part of Judaism. And, of course, that's in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, where you have Melchizedek. Also, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 talks about him. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 talks about the greatest king who ever lived up to that time. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, who was that? Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of his madness of seven years, he praised the God of heaven. He praised the God of, who are those four guys? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, right? And so I read the commentaries on this that a lot of people believe we're going to be seeing Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Hopefully he didn't backslide after this and just give up the name of God altogether. But uh, he's probably one. I'm, I've always been interested in seeing who these guys actually are because I paint a picture in my mind. But when they actually show up, what they are going to be like, like Nebuchadnezzar, was he this huge guy? Was he somebody who was really short, like four foot eight, something like that, and just had this big old macho complex? I, I have no idea, but I, I want to see 
who these guys are when we get to heaven. Then fifthly, Jesus accuses the Jewish leadership of wanting to steal away, kill, and destroy those who have faith in God. So Jesus is calling these guys thieves and robbers. He is indicting them. This is not the first time where Jesus has been alluding to this fact that there are these false shepherds because he's coming off this idea of the sheep pen, right? In Ezekiel chapter 34, there are false shepherds who are listed or talked about in here, and I'll just read it to you. In verse 2 of Ezekiel 34, it says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so this is a warning to the shepherds in Israel. Also in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. And so there are some stern warnings in Scripture for anybody who would be in ministry. Not just the pastors, can be assistant pastors, can be elders, can be deacons can be people in ministry who take advantage of the sheep who for their own selfish purposes line their pockets have, do you know of any televangelists that have lined their pockets <laughs> Joel Olstein yeah he is what about have you heard anybody that has said God wants me to be rich that's why he has blessed me Fred Price said that and i'm not afraid to mention these guys you know be more cirillo you know he he does this and what's the guy um tilton tilton who says just put your hand on the tv and i'll pray for you and it looks like sweats of blood are coming out of his head or something as he puts his hand towards the tv and just raking the people over the coals uh who is the guy that uh does the slain in the spirit that has the bouffant hand Benny Hen, that's right, Benny Hen. Uh, he is one that, you know, he uses his jet for private excursions to his second home in Switzerland. Or It's one of these guys that have that. Benny Hen is one who asks for money all the time. Or any shepherd whatsoever, if, if anybody in ministry went out and bought like a Maserati or a Ferrari or something like that, um, just a little personal story. I was taking care of a place 25, 30, 35 years ago or so. It was a big complex, and I see this Ferrari, fire red Ferrari, pull into this complex. And I, I see it stop, and it's about uh, 50 yards away from me. And I see this guy get out, and I know this guy. This guy is my pastor. He gets out of a Ferrari. And I can't believe it. I'm going to tell you who it is. It was Mike McIntosh. And I, I start walking towards him. And I say, Mike. And he goes, what? What? Oh, 
it's not mine, is what he says, right? He goes, it's not mine, you know, and I'm going to the church there, and I've talked to Mike several times, and we've had conversations, and, 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 and to make a long story short, I, I said, Mike, I said, hey, it's okay. He goes, no, really, I got to tell you, a guy told me just to take it for the day and drive it around, and I said, okay, this is going to be great, and here's a guy from his church that shows up and sees him. He gets out of this fiery red Ferrari. He was actually looking at the complex there. He was thinking about buying it. I found that out years later, but uh, he showed up in this Ferrari, you know, and at first I'm going, so that's what he's doing with the money in the church, you know, that's what I thought. And of course, it, he didn't, you know, that wasn't him. A guy just blessed him, said, drive this around for a day. Who, who wouldn't have taken advantage of that? And so, but anybody who would seek to make themselves rich and pad their own homes and live the life of luxury, a stern warning comes for them. They will be judged most severely. Now, going on here, Jesus is the good shepherd in verse 11 of John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd so again anyone in a position of of service should be willing to die for the sheep both figuratively and literally if that's the case that's what god calls the shepherd to do now he is called a good shepherd if he lays down his life and this is to be the moniker, I believe, that is over anybody in ministry. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. There's so much to be said about assistant shepherds. Uh, assistant shepherds will not do anything. And I'm talking about anybody in ministry. I'm not talking about assisting pastors or anything like that. Just anybody in ministry. That they do things with self in mind. They make decisions that will benefit themselves. And the way that you can tell that is by the sheep who are left behind if they decide to go do something else on their own. It's not a lament that the sheep say, oh, you know, that uh, person, oh, you know, yeah, I, I know that they wanted to do their own thing and go their own way. And, and the sheep, they're not lamenting it because the Lord calls them on, you know, to do something like that. I know pastors who have been called on and they've gone and the people lament it and they're sorrowful but they understand it's God's will then there are those who make selfish decisions that just move on and you hear it from the sheep when that takes place simply say I am so mad or you know I am upset that this is not right and we want to make sure that if we are in any kind of position of influence that we do things only when God tells us to do them that's why Jesus said here the the assisting shepherds so to speak the hirelings they just take off when something doesn't suit their own way their own mind and Jesus you know he was the ultimate was it a wonderful thing, good for him? Was it pleasing to him that he would lay down his life? No, only in the eyes of the Father. It was a burden to him. It was a sacrifice for him. It was hard. He even asked for it to be taken away. It was difficult. 
And so anybody who serves in any kind of capacity, you're going to run through stretches where it is completely difficult and you just say, I want to quit. You know, I'm just done with this. And that is the assisting shepherd who does it on their own. They just say, you know, I'm in it for my own reasons. I'm in it for my own benefit. They're not in it like Christ would be in it. And he is our example. So we are supposed to endure. And by the way, we're all selfish. There is not one of us who is not selfish. Scripture says there is not one of us who has not loved ourselves. If you say you don't love yourself very much, well, that's not true. Scripture declares that we do. And so we just want to make sure that we teach this, that we emulate this, that we are an example of this to everyone who is out there, even fellow believers, you know, the ones who aren't in ministry, if they wouldn't act in a selfish manner. And we all do. And even me, I act in a selfish manner. I do. And we just have to make sure that we allow ourselves to be guided by God and we die to that desire. That way, we do not shake up the other sheep. That way, we are considering others better than ourselves. And that is Philippians 2, 3. Consider others better than yourselves. Uh, it goes on. Verse 17, right? Yeah, 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. So who does it say here that is going to raise Jesus from the dead? Jesus, that's number one. Jesus raised himself from the dead. It says it, John eighteen eighteen. we just read it. He will raise up his own body. Is he the only one that raises up his own body? You're correct. Number two, the spirit raised Jesus from the dead in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And of course, the third one is the father raised Jesus from the dead. Galatians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent or sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So scripture declares that all three persons of the Godhead raised Jesus from the dead. I happen to be on a website of a local church here, and I didn't know a lot of this about uh, this particular church, but uh, their oneness and their belief about God, they're modalists, they believe that God just appears as one person one time as the son and then as a father and then as the holy spirit and they just believe some heretical teachings they hold to and it's not far from here but we want to make sure we have proper doctrine so if somebody says no only jesus is the name you're supposed to use when you baptize now what does matthew chapter 28 say in the end of the chapter Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if a person has a problem with that, say, in Jesus' name. You know, and you get Jesus' name in there singularly. Chuck Smith said he used to do that. But also the doctrine of the Trinity. That's a heresy that comes from the first century that there was not a Trinity. And, of course, the church put that down, this idea that there was no Trinity and that Jesus was not God. That was a Gnostic heresy that was out there. And so who raised Jesus from the dead? It was Jesus himself, the Spirit, and the Father. Now, at these words, the Jews were again divided. Now, what words were these? The fact that he could raise himself from the dead. This divided 
those who listen to him. Now, this is one thing that is true about Jesus, which is your fourth point there, their Roman numeral. Jesus came to divide. What is dividing the people? Well, the claims of Jesus is what was dividing the people. Jesus is the living water in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 43. This divided the people because he would do these miracles. This, of course, was at the feast, last day of the feast. And he said, I, have, I am the water, I am the life, I am the one who you're supposed to uh, cling to. They, they knew about Jesus' miracles. Also in John chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, the man born blind, uh, the Jews said that he has a demon, but the people said, does a man demon-possessed? do such miracles nobody can do these kind of miracles unless he's from god and so the people were divided there and of course raising up his own life this divided the people jesus came to divide the people and he intends to do that number one there jesus wants a distinction between believers and unbelievers he wants there to be such a clear distinction that there's no mistake that if you are a christian you will stand out how will you stand out They will see your behavior. They will see what you do. They will hear what you profess. Jesus wanted this. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. That means if somebody is not actively for Christ, they're working against Christ. So God makes this distinction. You you and I and all believers have to be actively pursuing Christ being a disciple so that people see if we're not doing that we are working against christ now this is a warning for me this is a warning for all christians this is a warning for all christendom god wants us to be the light not under a basket a city on a hill that's what he wants us to be he wants us to be salt if we do not exercise this then there's going to be people who don't get saved. People are going to be confused. Uh, For instance, we have a couple of people going to uh, Tierra del Sol, handing out tracts for three weeks in a row, right? Is this third week? Three weeks in a row. And the VP came out again today and talked to uh, Patty and Megan. And were you there, JJ, today? So it's just you two today? And so she came out and she said, just want to let you know if somebody, some of the parents come up and they start getting on you, you guys are on a public street, you can do whatever you want to out here, you know, as long as it's not illegal, I guess is what she meant. And, and she's the one that's a believer, so she's all about this. This is wonderful, passing out the tracks. And she said, there's still some parents who are complaining about you guys being out here and passing out these tracks. Praise the Lord. You know, that they're doing that. That's making a distinction. And if they're out there passing out those tracts, being a witness for Christ and giving them to the kids, they are declaring who they are and who they represent. And they're giving these tracts out. And some of the kids now are not taking them and some of them are throwing them down. And we just got 150 more tracts in. And so we got new tracts to go hand them to them. And there are going to be kids that will reject any track in the future. No, I don't want that. You know, forget it. I don't want to receive anything from you. And then there are some kids. There's one kid that's coming now because of that. And it's, it's named David. David. And he has a sister, 11, 
who eventually might end up here too. And who knows, a family might come. And, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be a witness. And we just got 57 chick tracks, and we're going to look through those and see which ones to give them. And, you know, it's our job to be that witness. I'm telling you, if you've never gone out and witnessed before, it's exhilarating. It's nerve-wracking. It kind of churns you up on the inside. We were down at Mission Beach. We rode by the Calvary Chapel Alpine. They were out there witnessing, and they had a big sign up that said, are you a good person? Come take the test. And I rode by on my bike. Mike, who was there, and I got about three feet from him as I rode by. I said, I'm not a good person, and I kept on going, you know. And he's out there witnessing to everybody, and the, and the group that was there, it's a fantastic thing. They're witnessing for Christ. And we need to be a witness, not only verbally, but by our actions. But those two need to be combined. Now, Jesus said that he has the power over life and raising the dead. And this brought, um, well, let me get, just get on to the second point here. Jesus wants a distinction between the strong and the weak believers as well. He wants to know who's strong and who's weak. And you might say, well, why does he want to do that? It's because he wants every believer to be strong. And so he wants us to judge ourselves. He wants us to make not a, a condemning judgment, but he wants us to make judgment about our fellow believers. He wants us to say, or, or make this judgment, like, are you strong? Are you not strong? Are you caught in a sin? Let me help you get out of that sin. We will always have carnal Christians, for instance, disobedient or in sin. That's why he gave us Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so we're supposed to be aware of who a weak Christian is that has fallen into sin, a carnal Christian, so that we can help him. Also, we will always have Christians who have little faith. They just don't trust enough in God. That's why... God wrote in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So he wrote that so that we might have more faith. We will always have wayward sheep wandering from the faith. In Luke chapter 15, verse 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he fully, or he rejoices, excuse me, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. That is why he wants these distinctions made. So we can be a witness to the world and so we can help those who are also Christians that are having problems. We will always have Christians who are not on fire, right? What about the person who just says, no, I'm not going to church right now. No, I'm not getting involved. No, I'm not going to a woman's study. No, I'm not going to a men's study. No, I'm not going to a home fellowship. No, I'm not going to Wednesday night. You know, whatever it is. Peter wrote down in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he gives us these verses because... There, there are these distinctions, and he wants us to recognize these distinctions and help those who need helping along. Somebody got you the message of the gospel. You got saved because of them. You should do the same. Pass it on to somebody else. Don't be selfish with that message. 
Give it to somebody else. Let's go on. Jesus' witness brought Jewish wrath. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a possessed, a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the feast of dedication. This is Hanukkah. At Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. Uh, to know what this is, if you were to go to the temple today, Solomon's colonnade is not there. But it would have been the perimeter of the temple uh, mount complex. You can look it up online. They have a model of it that is in Jerusalem. If you go to Israel, uh, normally you take a bus tour to, to this. They have this mock-up. It's probably two or three times the size of this room. And they have the temple mock-up there. They have the Antonio Fortress. They have the city, how it was set up. And you will see around the perimeter of the temple compound on the outer court of the Gentiles, that would be your right side or towards the south that you would be looking at, there was this section that you would come up from Solomon's porch and it would go underneath all of these colonnades, columns. And these columns would wrap around completely excuse me, the outer courts that were there. And Jesus was walking in these outer courts. It says it was winter. It could have been raining. Certainly it would have been a little windy. If it has snowed in uh, Jerusalem before, there's snow that has lighted on the ground. So it would have been chilly and you would have been out of the elements if you weren't in the temple itself. And that's where the people would hang out. So that's where Jesus was hanging out. And it was Hanukkah. It was that time of year that we celebrate Christmas. The Jews gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And these are the leaders of the Jews. These are the Pharisees. And so they didn't believe because Jesus said, Believe in the miracles. Well, number one there, miracles are the proof of Messiahship. And proof of Messiahship. Jesus said, believe the miracles. If you don't believe what I say, and I've already told you, but believe the miracles. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. And so the miracles are a proof of Messiahship. Secondly, not all miracles are proof of Messiahship. Matthew twenty four twenty four says, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Let's take an example, hypothetical, that I don't believe will take place, but let's just do it for grins and giggles. You have a group of Christians that don't believe in the rapture. They don't believe that we will be taken up before the tribulation. Some believe we'll go through the tribulation. Some believe there is no tribulation. But say, for instance, there is no rapture and we go through the tribulation. We see false prophets doing false miracles. How do we know it's not actually Christ? Even the elect would be deceived if that were possible. That means these miracles on a scale from 1 to 10, they're a 10. And what if they say, no, I am the Christ and they're doing these miracles. How do you know if it's not? What if they say, 
No, I, I came down here. I want to help you guys through the tribulation. I'm here to instruct you what you're supposed to do. How would you know if that's not the Christ? Well, you would know by three things, works, words, and the way of life. First of all, the works performed, the miracles. You would see the miracles and you go, okay, that's the first thing that I would know that you are maybe from God is miracles, the miraculous. The second is the words. The miracles are going to line up with the words of God. They are not going to be contrary to the words of God. If a prophet or somebody comes along or a false prophet and performs these miracles, if his words don't match up with the miracles, you know that they are not from God. And thirdly, the way of life. Are they sinless? If a person does miracles and they are full of sin, there's a problem, right? Their, their witness doesn't match up. If they said they were Christ, well, Christ was sinless. But if you have any witness that they are sinful, then obviously it's not Christ. You're not to believe them. If it is a prophet of God, say you're there in the tribulation period, and there are two prophets that show up, and they do these miracles, and they speak the word of God, and it comports with what is in Scripture, and the way that they live, they condemn sin and all of that, you know that they're from God, right? So that's how you know who to follow and when to follow them. There are people today that call themselves prophets and they claim that they can do miracles and they're of the line of the apostles. They actually call themselves apostles and that's one of the signs that follows an apostle. Signs, wonders, and miracles. If somebody's an apostle, ask them, so what miracle have you done lately? Have you parted the pool in your backyard? Let people walk through from one side to the next? What have you done? Have you taken a loaf of bread and made it last a year in your household? Not bought anything more than that? That's how you tell if somebody is from God or not from God. It's by the miracles that they perform or the works, the word, and the way of life. Going on in verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can scratch them out of my hand or snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand. I and the father are one. Now, there have been Christians that come along and say, well, nobody can snatch you from his hand, but you can jump out of his hand. You guys know what scripture says that? There isn't one. If you're in the father's hand, you're not going to want to jump out. Even if you're in sin, you're going to say, I'm in sin and I need to stay close and tighten that hand is where I need to stay. The last thing I need to do is jump out. If you have actually ever been in the hand of the Father, you're not going to be lost. God is able to make all of us stand to the end. He's able to preserve us. Now, if you are familiar with Philip Keller's book, and this has been around for decades, Shepherd takes a look at Psalm 23. He talks about the sheep, that this one ewe lamb that would walk the fence line, and eventually he had to kill the sheep because it was leading other young lambs astray. And the Lord may take us home early if that's the case, if we're going to be stumbling to others. He, he has the right, the prerogative. He has the choice to do something like that if we refuse him over and over and over. But we want to make sure we don't have to worry about that. Nobody can snatch us from the Father's hand. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. 
Jesus was claiming to be God. That's the third point. People will say Jesus never claimed to be God. He did over and over and over. He said, my miracles, let the miracles that I do in my Father's name speak for me. He's trying to tell them, but they didn't want to hear. They wanted, like for instance, they came up to Jesus and they said, tell us if you're the Messiah, just tell us plainly. Do you think that they had good intentions when asking that? No, they knew already that he claimed to be the Christ. Did they listen to John the Baptist? Did John the Baptist, well, they listened to him. They didn't agree with him, but they listened to him. Did John the Baptist say that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? That he's, yes, they would have known John the Baptist was calling Jesus the Messiah. And so when they asked him, just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Why would they be asking him that? They wanted him to say that. I, I think the word is perfidiousness. What that means is they, they want him to say something so they can use it against him. They wanted him to say, I am the Messiah. At that particular point, they would have started the trial. They would have arrested him. This blasphemer, he doesn't follow the Sabbath. They would have got him crucified right away. And he knew that that was their intention. They, he knew that they would betray him. And so he didn't answer them the way that they wanted. Going on. Jesus was claiming to be God. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your lives, said you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. What about the one whom the Father set apart as, as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. He's referring to Psalm chapter 82. And the reason that he is using this, it's because... The people that were being talked about in Psalm 82, because of their office, they determined the fate of men. They determined if they lived or died. That's why God called them in Psalm 82 gods with a little g. They had that kind of authority. Number four there, Jesus has the power to determine the ultimate fate of all men. That's who he is. And he's accusing these guys and saying, I'm going to determine your fate. You're going to be judged. You are still guilty of sin back in... John chapter 9, verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. He stayed, or there he stayed, or here he stayed. Jesus is the gate. He's a good shepherd. He came to defy divide and jesus's witness brought the jewish wrath so that's what we learned from john chapter 10 do you guys have any questions yes five 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 of the only five i had i'm looking i'm looking to you got it oh yeah jewish leadership that was back at the beginning. Okay. All right. Yes, Nate. What was what? We got it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it enlightens us, how it, it shows us how Jesus repeatedly declared who he was. 
whether he was the way, the truth, and the life, the gate, the door, the resurrection, and the life, the true vine. Father, he is the bread of life. We understand this from your word. And I know, we all know, the Jews refuse to see. If there's more you have for us, Lord, in your word, please reveal it. We want to see. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Everyone said